Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Burley Fisher's Isolation Station. It feels like it's been forever since we've done this, and it feels like the world has yet again sort of taken a turn or a change. Um, my name's Anthony. I'm joined by So Mayer today. How are you, So? I am hot. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, it turns out that it is quite difficult to keep up producing a podcast while also working out how to reopen a small shop safely for customers to return so that's been the isolation station hiatus non-drama um and how's it going reopening has been really good actually um we took the step to put all the books online so we have an online shop where you can order pretty much anything um but especially things we have. Um, And yeah, it's been lovely to kind of realise how much of a community hub we are because just the first few days I was back there, just the amount of people stopping by and saying they'd missed us and how good it was to see us really kind of put a whole good energy into the whole decision to, to go back and sell books again. So yeah, it's been really cool. And what are the books that people have been coming in for? I should say that I am not back at work yet because I live really quite far from the shop. I can only access it by public transport. So I've kind of become like the Siri or the sorry. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to presence. Yeah, I just get, (laughs) I get um, invoked through the computer and I provide backend support. So I I only have this really abstract sense uh, of what's going on there. Imagining you guys walking around and you're like, robot face masks and uh, <laughs> what what are people reading or what are people excited about that's coming up um i mean a lot of stuff obviously with what happened in the past few weeks in america and over here with the black lives matter movement there's been enormous interest and rightly so in black authors and books about race and racism so those are flying out which is really cool and great to see um, lots of Audrey Lord, uh, lots of James Baldwin, Bell Hooks. Um, I'm trying to sell this one called Chris, uh, On Blackness and Being in the Wake by Christine Sharp. Which I, I love that book. Yeah. yeah it's, um, it's really good, but it's actually quite hard to come by. But yeah, um, you might have to remind me because... <laughs> as, the, as the back end. Um, I do know <laughs> that we have signed copies of uh, Eliza Clark's the for debut novel Boy Parts um, being published by our good friends at Influx Press, mm-hmm. um, which is a super exciting book that <laughs> is all about things like clubbing and sex uh, that are <laughs> just what you want to read about uh, yes. during this tail end of lockdown. But it's a fan- phenomenal book about um, self-image, um, working with your body in artistic mediums and also about sort of the internet and surveillance and stalking and how we um, have the right to sort of be ourselves but also how we do that um, in a public in a public forum and it's also it's hilarious so really excited for boy parts to be out there and then also I think Sophie Hayward's memoir The Hungover Games yes yeah yeah so two uh two new titles um as well as the incredible um backlist and new titles by by um black authors that people should have already read and are catching up with 
mm. now, which is which is really exciting. We don't have signed copies of it yet, but I'm hoping that we will. Uh, I think this is going to be our first opportunity in July to have on sale a book that we trailered on the podcast, which mm. is Caleb Femi's debut collection, Paul, out from Penguin in July. Uh, you can pre-order it on the website now, and it's going to be an absolute smash. It is like the book of the moment, the book of the summer everyone should be excited for that book do go back and listen to the podcast if you haven't already um and i think you you might have had a sneak preview yeah i've 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 read it it kind of brought me to tears and uh, yeah it's it's absolutely so so on point right now for anything from education to the situation here in the uk which is obviously as problematic as the us yeah, it just speaks so deeply about um, the experience of growing up, I think, um, in difficult times. So, yeah, yeah, I would agree that is book of the summer. I think also a really important reminder that poetry has such a huge role to play in not just describing social movements or the emotions concerning lived experience, but in itself being a radical form of action and protest. And we've seen, as you say, people turning to writers like Audre Lorde, June Jordan, Jay Bernard, Raymond Antrobus. And I think Caleb's book is in that in that lineage and a reminder that poetry, because it can be so compressed, so contained, can speak with such clarity and its relationship to forms like um, hip hop and rap and spoken words. Um, it has such an intensity of how it can particularly speak to young people, but to any reader about like the urgency um, of what's happening and, and of how it feels. Um, and that's why it was like so exciting to record this podcast and to have an opportunity to talk about poetry as a practice of social justice, to talk about poetry as a practice of storytelling, um, mm -hmm. to talk about poetry, like I was saying, with boy parts as... A space in which you can express yourself um, outside of kind of societal demands or insistences to really reclaim that space um, and to talk about an incredible and really inspiring anthology is from Canada or it's from North America although there are British tribes in it and I think it's really telling that there isn't a British anthology like this it's mm. called Hustling Verse and it's um, published by Arsenal Pulp, uh, who are a really rad press in Vancouver. And it's edited by Amber Dawn and jo Justin Ducharme. And not only are all the contributors people who've done sex work, but both of the editors are people who've done sex work and written about sex work as well. So it's completely nothing about us without us. Um, it completely came from the community, from Amber Dawn's um, experience of writing her memoir, How Poetry Saved My Life. And it has just, it's created sort of shockwaves. It's won prizes. It's just opened up a huge discussion in, uh, in North America. And it was amazing to have an opportunity to bring some of that discussion here, especially with the impact of lockdown on the already precarious lives of many sex workers in this country. And that's something we talk about in the podcast. Um, we will put links in the show notes. So if there are any resources that you as a listener need or want to pass on to people that you know, um, there will be those links, particularly Swarm uh, and its Scottish equivalent, which are the great 
go-tos in the UK. Um, so I'm, I absolutely loved talking to uh, Nettie, Marcel and Misha. And I think we should just let them speak for themselves because this is what it's about. Yeah, let's do it. Shame on you is the sound of my mother's voice inside my head. God damn you all to hell, she would say. Oh, and my personal favourite. You think you can just do whatever you jolly well please. These are the words permanently emblazoned on my brain. Whenever I think of my mother, and if there is a price to be paid for playfulness in the afterlife, then surely I will be indebted for all of eternity. For a few have shirked the shawl of seriousness with the bound determination that I have. Indeed, I have danced upon the grave of all that is truly and honourably grave, and I have done it all in clear plexi-platform stilettos, the kind with the shiny silver straps, and I have done it naked as the day I was born, circling my hot pink lace bra overhead and slingshotting it into the crowd while I'm twerking for Jesus. And his hair is metaphorically tied back in a gorgeous yoga man bun, and he's wearing Mardi Gras beads and a candy necklace, and one of those big number one foam hands. And in this metaphor, we look like Miley Cyrus and Robin Thicke. And it's not going to get more dignified than this. Because someday when I get to heaven, we will go backstage and I will lift his golden white robes and give him a sweet down and dirty blowy for a crisp brown hundy. And while I'm down there on my knees anyway, I will hear the voice of my mother inside my head and I'll offer up this prayer. Oh, Father, forgive me for I have rimmed the edge of my glass with sugar. Welcome back to Burley Fisher's Isolation Station and I am so excited today to be joined by two fantastic uh, writers and activists and a photographer and activist. Um, so please welcome Marcel, Misha and Nettie. Hi. 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 <laughs> hey. <laughs> this is welcome to our multi-location in the ether um station for talking about reading writing activism and why they matter and today we're going to be talking about a very particular and extremely important uh, anthology published by arsenal pulp press in canada called hustling verse um and marcel you're one of the contributors to the anthology and can you tell us a bit about how you heard about it and how you got involved yeah, so I am not a writer by any means. I occasionally kind of bump out a poem on my notes app when I feel something. <laughs> and um, I just happened to come across um, one of the editors, Amber Dawn, who is also a contributor on Twitter, making a call for sex workers to submit writing. And I just thought, well, I, might, I may as well go for it because what have I got to lose, really? And I'll use, you know, I'm not using my real name, obviously. So I went for it and I was very surprised that I actually got accepted and published and very psyched to be included with a lot of people who I felt um, <laughs> really honoured to be included alongside. Was it a poem that you'd already written or was it the call out for poems that kind of set your mind to work? 
Um, I had already written the poem about a month before the submission and I, yeah, there was almost no editing done, which I felt very flattered about. <laughs> um, I was on holiday and very and a bit depressed and I thought I'd write a poem to about someone to make me feel better and this happened. About someone, it's a very yeah. tantalising, <laughs> tantalising leap. <laughs> about someone could be so bad with poetry. <laughs> and of course poetry doesn't have to have anything to do with a real world experience it can be fantasy or composite um as well as documentary and i'm wondering whether the book um all of you as readers of the book feel that there's that range happens there yeah i i feel like um quite often like as an experience of being a sex worker it can be difficult or even like counterproductive to just like anchor every experience and being personal because there are definitely experiences that we all share and that can be triggered quite easily with certain words. So I really liked Marcel's poem actually because I felt I felt like there was that shared experience of like camaraderie and um, what it's like to face the world as a sex worker in, in your poem especially. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that that means a lot. It's always uh, weird to hear people talking about it because it, it the whole thing has obviously been produced at distance. Obviously, it, the publishers being in Canada, and mo- I, I think at the moment I'm the only contributor who is in the UK. So it's uh, it's really cool that people are enjoy are enjoying the compilation and feeling I don't know rec- recognized. Yeah. I feel like that's like something that's really beautiful about the anthology is that it really, even even though it's like based in Canada and you're the one of the only people not from Canada I suppose contributing, it's like the the stories are all very similar to the stories all around the world for sex workers and it just actually for me it really just like hammers home how this this fight for decriminalization and activism is so universally felt by us all that. It's just, it's so insane mm. to think that our voice, as we speak quite in unison, isn't taken as seriously, even though we all have the same shared experience. I don't know, it makes me feel quite optimistic in a way too. Mm. I mean, it's definitely, it, that's one of the things that I enjoy so much about finally get, uh, when I finally got to read the full anthology was everyone is, everyone in the anthology comes from very different experiences and backgrounds in sex work. There's different experiences of race and gender within sex work different experiences of class and there and yet there is obviously this commonality and solidarity and yeah the criminalization and like the experiences like crossing borders and stuff which i yeah. thought was really really well addressed in in this especially yeah just yeah. the diversity of all the stories and the different moods, you know, some felt like really funny, others felt like a lot more sort of sensitive, like some almost like romantic. There was just like such a wide range of like stories. I think that's what interested me the most. Yeah, all of the emotions you can go through doing it. Yeah. That's what I felt from it, definitely. I felt like I was going, I felt like I got really emotional reading it quite a few times because. I could just put myself in so many of these situations and just empathize so strongly. It's, I, I felt And just like, the level of writing and work was mm. like, it was like, I, I'm really, really just so impressed. It was amazing. 
And we should say um, and celebrate that the anthology has been nominated for a Lambda Literary Award, which is an American award that recognizes LGBTIQ achievements in literary writing. And I know the ceremony has been postponed for the moment, but we're crossing our fingers that the, the anthology in its writing receives that recognition and helps it helps the voices in it go continue their international journey. Um, as a, a bookshop podcast, one of the things that um, we're interested in is the choice to do a poetry anthology because of course there's international sex work organizing that is very committed to policy and legislation, to fundraising, um, to drafting contracts, to studying the impact of different legislation. So what what is it that poetry can do? I mean, Nettie, you were talking about the emotion and the shared feelings, but I wonder if you could all expand a bit on, on why poetry? I personally think that there's, poetry can be a really unifying thing, specifically because of the abstraction that's kind of to 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 sound a bit very literary from for a moment, which I definitely am not. Do it. The, the form. <laughs> the, form <laughs> the form is kind of inherently formless and abstract, and can take whatever shape you want it to be. Which mm. is also, and I think that works really well with sex work, which is also can exist in this weird space of of change and illusion and also vastly different ex material experiences but also with this underlying common theme and I think that I, I think that I mean personal essays and articles are important as well but I think there's something about the feeling and the subjective experience that can be underlooked often and I and that that's what poetry can help to address. I think, like, I guess it's exactly, I think that creating empathy for the experiences of sex workers is so important because even if you, even if you read confessional essays and, and articles, that, that can then become quite easily a spectacle rather than something that engenders empathy. So I really, I really love poetry and filmmaking for being able to do that. I just think that an anth it specifically being an anthology for and by sex workers as well um, means that you are basically given, as a contributor, you're basically given the permission to be vulnerable because you're amongst your peers in a way. There's no need to kind of prove yourself as it, mm. there's no need to prove yourself or your experience as being valid or need to prove your worth or your deservingness of rights. Um, you just can exist alongside your peers and that was special in a way as well. What yeah. was it like working with uh, the editors Amber Dawn and Justin Ducharme? Um, well there was, I didn't really work with them very extensively, um, there was, I talked to them a bit when I submitted the poem and we did a little bit of editing but aside from that I mean there is, there was a ton of contributors so we all kind of I mean, I can't really imagine how much work it must have taken. And so I, it was, and also it being a long distance kind of working relationship as well. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, Amber, I mean, it really is good also that Amber Dawn and Justin are sex workers themselves. And that 
it, it instantly kind of engenders a feeling of safety and mutual trust that I wouldn't feel submitting a poem about sex work to another kind of editor maybe definitely I think that's what gives it the authenticity and just the the I think that's why it's so well executed as well to be honest yeah I think this is like something that you can't do in a space that isn't managed by sex workers and it's why um being able to have spaces to organize and put together things in art and literature is really important and it's a shame that it's getting increasingly difficult to even organize is that increasingly difficult because of the pandemic and lockdown or because of the larger sort of neoconservative nightmare within which the, which the lockdown is is totally um, exacerbating and, and sort of showing showing how much of a clampdown that has on all of us? Like, what are you seeing in your in your communities, in your work right now? For me, um, you know, full-service sex works had to stop completely. I can't escort anymore. And I, I'm lucky in a way, because I, I produce porn films anyway, and I, and I make my own stuff. But that's all changed too now, because everyone is making, their, trying their hand at um, OnlyFans and um, making pornography. And it's kind of strange to see everyone have to change and, and, and take this up, because not everyone can. And it's it's been it's been a real struggle. So most sex workers are out of a lot of money and are doing very mm. badly unless they have the you know the privilege to already have things to shoot with because it's actually quite expensive to just shift to online work and that's been like touted as the answer for escorts and strippers you know just make an OnlyFans account mm. but it's really not that easy so I, you know I'm seeing a lot of my friends struggle quite badly and it's very it's very soul crushing to watch yeah, I'm seeing some people having to go back to work now who don't really have a choice, um, yeah. so they have to put themselves yeah. in risk. And also, there's an, from an organising perspective as well, it can be, and from a mutual aid perspective, it can be very difficult to get in touch with some of the most vulnerable people in our community because they just simply don't have access to the internet or reliable access to the internet. So you can't really get in touch with people, um, yeah. which is worrying and difficult. <laughs> For any of our listeners who might want to pass the names of some organisations to friends and acquaintances, um, can you tell us a bit about who's doing the organising and um, organising hardship funds as well? Um, so I volunteer with an organisation called Scott Pep, which is the Scottish sex workers organisation and we are not providing a hardship fund, but we are promoting our sister organisation, Umbrella Lane, which is offering a hardship fund for sex workers in Scotland. Swarm, which is literally spelled Swarm, um, is an organisation that's doing a hardship fund in, in, in England at the moment. They're based in London, they have a branch in the north, and they're, um, they've done really well with donations, and I think there's a... Oh, this is really bad. I should remember the names. There's one in Ireland as well. But a lot of these organisations are like all linked to each other. So if you find a swarm on on Twitter, or you find like one of the the, the organisation you mentioned, Marcel, you'll be able to find other ones kind of just retweeting each other. And a lot of people are putting a lot of a lot of time into these things, and it's really it's really encouraging to see that we can organise. But so sad to see that we have to do this. For sure. 
But also because there's so much of this press about how everyone's moving into camming. And I think it's a really important point that you've made to to remind people that actually that's not the reality for like lots of sex workers. And like it kind of creates this like false illusion of like people still being able to make money. And like, yeah, yes. it's really important. A lot, there's actually been articles being run saying things like uh, like sex online sex work is booming right now and stuff, and that people are you know it's a great time to do OnlyFans or like promoting it as you know like almost like an influencer type thing. But it's like sure, it's a good time if you have all of the stuff already. But most most sex workers don't have that, and it, yeah, it's just that's disheartening. And it also keeps perpetuating this idea that sex work is easy money, which it definitely mm. is not. No, um, it's yeah. so long to get a following that makes me a decent living. If you just started to do webcamming or whatever right now, it would take you a long time to even be able to pay your rent with it, really. Yeah, that's really so true. And this is why decriminalisation is so remains so important. Yeah, and just yeah, just so it recognizes legal work, and it's it's a shame because actually Japan has recognized their adult entertainer sector and has been giving uh, all kinds of sex workers money uh, for hardship funds, basically. Because we don't have any legal recognition, then we don't have any legal claim to any kind of money that's been put out at the moment by the government, which is a shame. And also, it's a good argument for universal basic income. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's also this perception as well that like um that a lot of sex workers are either I mean it's the you know it's the victim villain dichotomy. There's the perception that either as a sex worker you're an abject victim or you're um a very high earning tax evading um kind of glamorous courtesan. And the reality <laughs> is that most most of us are somewhere in the middle and yeah, the great a, lot of, a lot of us are on the lower end of the middle and a lot of us don't earn enough even for the tax bracket. So mm. um, we won't be able to access the funds for the self-employed, so we will rely on universal credit, and which is unreliable. And a lot of us already, in fact, went into sex work to avoid, uh, well, not to avoid, but because we were waiting for universal credit payments. And so it's, uh, there's this, yeah, but it's, it's also difficult because there's, you can't, a lot of people I know can't talk to their families or anyone about the fact that they are now missing work and not having any income. Yes, exactly. Like, how can you tell a landlord why you can't claim money from the government, etc.? You know, it's it's difficult. That's that's one of the the reasons why we need more specialised services for sex workers and stuff. Because if if there was an easier way to have any kind of organising for money and any kind of keeping people safe and any kind of space that was made specifically for sex workers would be a lot easier, but it's hard to even be able to rent a space in London to organise for sex workers consistently without it being a problem now. And I mean, I know this isn't directly of organising, but I remember the Home Film Festival last year had to like relocate so many times because... Yeah the dogged interference by radical feminists and so yeah they'll, they'll even complain to venues if we're just trying to organize and this is i don't know i feel like this is accelerating and i feel like we're having a really accelerated kind of culture war about sex work but people aren't really talking about it or people don't notice it as much or people don't really i think maybe more of it is that people don't necessarily 
see it as real or can consider our lives being kind of something real that isn't a spectacle. And this is why the anthology, I think, is really amazing because it takes sex work away from just being the spectacle and more into something that maybe you can empathize with and maybe you've had days similar to. 100%. If you were going to recommend um, one of the poems or a couple of the poems in the anthology to a reader, um, either someone, uh, so let's say maybe someone who is empathetic and keen to learn, which of the which poems would you put in front of them first, or do you think they might engage with initially? Off the top of my head, um, plugging Amber Dawn again, who is also the editor, she has a really great poem in there that's kind of about um, witchcraft in a brothel, um, which I really amazing I, I really loved that <laughs> and it was kind of a wish fulfillment for me about casting spells on clients um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and it's such a great poem because it totally speaks to the power um of sexuality and the power of of comradeship mm. um as well uh, uh, I can't remember a lot of so the contributors' names, but there is there is some really great work as well from Indigenous Canadian sex workers. Yes, uh, I was going to remember my first poem to recommend was one by a lady called Christina V, and it's called "What Stigmatizes You Makes You Stronger," and it's about uh, life experience being a sex worker and being Indigenous in Canada and. Uh, her having like a threat to her life and how the police interact with that and stuff and yeah I thought that was like so so powerful it really moved me to tears it's like though it's yeah just wow incredible I also recommend uh one called Hysterica well one by Hysterica sorry I'm reading it it's in front of me and the words are coming up it's called <laughs> Going to Hell by Hysterica and it's really really good and it really rings true with me because I feel like I've like adopted some kind of Catholic guilt, despite not growing up Catholic, but growing up Protestant. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that just the general hellscape of popular culture and its attitude towards sex and sex work? Yeah, it's because I get, because like, I, because especially because I, I make porn, I get, I've been um, dogpiled on by hundreds of radical feminists and all kinds of things. They've, they've complained about me on Mum's Net and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Mum's Net, I love your war against Mum's Net. <laughs> oh <my God>. <sighs> <sighs> hey, so I don't know. I really like this. And I've been very much publicly shamed. Like I was in like the right wing press for a while because I took a selfie of Jeremy Corbyn like years ago. And, and I got, like, put in the Daily Mail for it and stuff. And yeah. it's just like, wow. You just, I don't know, I just feel like you really can't exist without, without it being a moral quandary for someone, you know? Mm. Yeah. And this is the thing, is that so often sex work exists as a symbolic... It, it exists as something symbolic rather than something material for a lot of people who aren't sex exactly. workers. Exactly, yeah. Either positively or negatively. It can either be... I mean, I'm... I mean, in revolting prostitutes, um, they talk about this. Just that, either either from a sex positive feminist perspective or from a radical feminist perspective, sex work is either used symbolically as the ultimate kind of degradation and violence wrought by patriarchy upon women, or it stands as kind of a symbol of total liberation. And it's neither of those things. It's a way to make money. 
Completely. And it's and, and it's so hard to sell the reality of most sex workers just existing in this grey area. And it's it's the same like for all for all kinds of stuff. And I have this when I when I talk about porn especially, people expect porn stars to be really rich and to be doing really well, but it's it's like the most it's the most poor you can be as a famous person. And on the kind of like diagram, <laughs> people are making a lot of money, and but then I feel then this ends up being quite reactive for like it ends up being something that ends up being quite uh, reactive for a lot of people in sex work because then they feel like they have to defend themselves by mm. uh, you know like pretend or perpetuating this kind of like luxurious life myth. Yeah. Or talking about how much you love your job and how many orgasms you have and so on and it's yeah. Yeah. trying to justify yourself to people by, exactly. by insisting that it's extraordinary when in reality it isn't. It's very it's very mundane and that's what I kind of hope to <laughs> that's what I kind of hope comes across a little bit in my poem is that the work itself is mundane. It really does. I, I really, I've been there, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I felt I really felt those moments. And it's not that exciting, you know, and it's like all of these tech pros think, like, you know, get cocaine and we might hire some escorts and that's like the most radically exciting thing that's happened to them forever. <laughs> but it's so banal. And then eventually, you know, even on the other end, you end up, I don't know, I end up just, I feel kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm starting to objectify them. <laughs> Good. I mean, as... As lots of reviews of the book um, rightly pointed out, we've, for almost the whole history of written literature, the story of sex work has been told by the equivalent of tech bros in any given era. Hmm. <laughs> whether, whether that's like, mor- you know, moralizing Charles Dickens, tech bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. <laughs> They've always got to have their say about what what their or romanticize what their experience <laughs> is. So well, it's always the like romantic version of everything too. They're, oh, really? That's Timberland's culture. So, Nettie, you and Marcel are teaming up to take this one step further. Is that right? You're campaigning. I don't know if campaigning is the right word, but you're in the running for the Dazed One Hundred Create. Um, everyone go and vote (laughs) Dazed 108 for Nettie Hurley um, to get some money to do the work yeah always helps a bit of cash yeah Um, because it's work yeah yeah we I mean I don't know what what should we talk about with it I mean I just when I read the anthology I was so inspired just because it was the first time having done like photo projects I did a photo project with Misha which is still sort of ongoing but like having sort of observed sex industry through my friends and through other people I just felt that there there hadn't been anything that had really felt like a voice like a real voice like and when I read the anthology I was just so impressed and yeah my brother gave it to me for I think it was for Christmas actually but he um and then he reached out to Amber Dawn and then Amber Dawn um, got in touch with Marcel. Marcel. So it's, yeah, it's just really, it's, I always wanted to, I wanted to try and tell the story. But for me as a filmmaker, it was never my story like to tell and to find an opportunity to collaborate with a writer 
and for for us to sort of direct something as as we as we will is yeah really exciting. Yeah, I'm really happy you're doing this project too because it's been so nice to watch you develop your work about sex work and but from a really honest way like all of all of the interesting places I've taken you over the years and like watching your reactions change on each set as and I swear you kind of like you were already very natural in them anyway from your experience making films but it's just been interesting to watch you go on that journey as well. And it's the collaboration which is really interesting and for me uh, Marcel your writing is just like it's so visual and like you have such a sense visually in terms of like your references and and your sensibility around the subject I just think it's really um I think you've got so much like this is the start of like so much more for you like writing wise and yeah I think it's really exciting I hope so I really hope so that seems like the perfect cue to hear Marcel read her poem and we're good to go anytime I love my favorite girl was soft cold pliable, suggestible, a lumpen sweetheart with a wall-eyed smile, a cunt of lard, a kiss of butter. We pressed our fat to the cool glass, as white as fresh fish. We listened to the men talk of fucking our folds, laughing, and we laughed too. Our hands clasped tightly, nails digging into pink flesh. Two hundred for a show of tongues and gasp, and corner shadows, formless grunts. Rinse your bits, wait for the coarse-skinned woman, red, tough, firm, to take her cut. My girl shortchanged, squeezing into cheap, pretty fabric, the pantomime of whores, a sluttish look, the dab of the cloth at the cum on her dimpled thighs. We sleep, gnaw, sweat, mingled in each other's life juice, living to be kneaded firmly like dough. And that's the poem. <laughs> wow! <laughs> <laughs> like Nettie says, it just feels like the beginning of an epic like exploration <laughs> like there's so much in it <laughs> amazing amazing can, I, can um, so can we can we ask um marcel just because i don't know if you fancy talking about it marcel but i really loved what inspired the poem would you want to talk about that yeah um so basically when i first started working in the sex industry i worked for an agency slash brothel and I worked out of a flat and it was very lonely and I would just be given bookings by distance. And the only time I would meet other sex workers was when we were booked for a threesome. And you would develop these weird camaraderies with people who you were being paid to put on a performance with. And you would sort of catch each other's eye and like, I don't know, brush each other. And then afterwards you would just kind of deflate and let it all hang out together and it was that it was that I guess I wrote this poem about the kind of friendship that I sort of wish I'd been able to form during that time how much I wish I could connect with people that I only got to meet so fleetingly so it's almost like a fantasy relationship of the sort of and I have these kind of friendships now since because I live in Edinburgh now and I'm kind of embedded into a community of sex workers and I you know, this, <laughs> my former sort of fantasy of friendship is now real, but um, yeah. It's... Because do you think that's because of how it's, how it's changed in the time that you were working in Leeds and now the time that you're 
that now the time that you're working in, in Edinburgh, is it is it something? Where, do you feel that there's been a shift in the industry, in terms of the communities? Um, I think the main difference probably is just that I work independently now rather than through a manager. So, and also I sort out. I sought out people, whereas I think I was more naive when I first started and I had no idea that people would even befriend each other. It was just something I kind of yearned for (laughs) because it was very lonely and isolating. And then also, I guess the main other thing that comes across in the poem that I wanted to convey is this sense of enjoying the softness of your body when you feel like everyone around you that you're working with is sort of a very very conventionally a a very conventional depiction of what it is to be in the sex industry you feel like everyone around you is thin and tanned and perfect and you feel like you are not and you so just finding the beauty in what is uh what feels like especially in agency culture in Leeds (laughs) is a very kind of uh, specific sort of beauty that's put forward and you can feel like an outsider if you don't conform to that standard. Thank you to Nettie, Marcel and Misha for joining us on Isolation Station and talking us through not only Hustling Verse, but the current situation for sex workers and sex work. We will put all the links in the liner notes for the podcast. Check them out, use them, share them, donate if you can. And absolutely, absolutely get a copy of this book, not just for you, but for everyone you know, especially any TERFs. <laughs> on Mums <laughs> on Mumsnet. <laughs> <laughs> Write a review and put it on Mumsnet. <laughs> <laughs> Flood Mumsnet, Bernie Fisher Isolation Station. <laughs> now is our time. Thank you so much as well. It's been so it's been really great to be able to all get together to talk about this. Yeah, and it's been really nice to meet you, so and to, and you, Misha, as well. And yeah, meet you all in this strange um, coronavirus world. That was amazing. That was such a privilege to see into that world through the eyes and the words of Misha and Marcel. Marcel's last poem there, I remember reading the collection when it came in the shop and obviously I immediately um, sent it to my sister because I know she works in that industry with those people but um, I just really would urge anyone to pick it up and just explore it because there are some just mind-blowing poems in there and um, yeah it leaves you reeling and it's it's an incredible piece of work from people that are anonymous but and we can all bear witness to this um by reading their work in hustling verse so yeah that was that was really amazing totally i'm still thinking about so many of the ideas in that conversation particularly as under not particularly good i mean that's an understatement under exploitative governance so many people are being forced back into work Uh, where they're at risk um, and where employers can act with impunity and so many people now experience precarious labour and that's a connection between people who work in sex work and people who work um, in many different settings and the pandemic has 
made what even may have seemed in the past like safe safe labor bodily precarious um in, in ways that are enhancing and entrenching inequality and i think we just i continue to learn so much um from sex workers from books like revolting prostitutes from books like hustling verse and organizations like sex worker open university SWU, um that helps all of us um as workers and as uh political beings and as bodies uh i'm always um moved and invigorated by what these conversations mm. Uh, bring up and it also reminds me to do more to support and engage with Swarm which still has an active and ongoing crowdfunder to provide uh, support for sex workers who obviously are not being covered um, by the very limited um, government decisions to support freelancers and there are many people who are who are excluded from that there was a debate in parliament today um, and some of the people who were excluded are those who are least able to organize protest and be heard because the work that they do is considered illegal yeah yeah and it was so important to hear their side and um pick up hustling verse because it is groundbreaking in what it's doing if you want to order the book you can um order it from the website or still drop us an email at shop at bellyfisherbooks.com or podcast at bellyfisherbooks.com uh we will be back and we're reopened, so if you're in the area, please come and say hi. Um, shop hours, I'm not going to quote on here because I don't need to turn up when it be closed. <laughs> but um, I'm pretty sure we're open now, Tuesday to Sunday, um, 10 till 6. And 12 till 6 on Sunday, but we keep the hours updated on the website and on Twitter. And um, yeah, do get in touch, do come by the shop and do read Hustling Verse. Cool. So we'll see you next time. Burley Fisher's Isolation Station was brought to you by the team at Burley Fisher Books. Your hosts on the podcast today were Anthony Hurley and So Mayer with readings from the Hustling Verse Poetry Collection. The music was by Anthony Hurley. Take it easy. Stay safe.